The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to British Murders, a true crime podcast with a focus on British murder cases. My name's Stuart Blues, and I'm excited for you to join me on this journey of morbid discovery. I'm by no means an expert on the subjects of homicide and serial killers, however I have always had a sick fascination with them. Together we will learn about some of the lesser known British murderers, as well as glimpsing occasionally at some of the more notorious ones. The bite-sized presentation of this podcast is intentional, as we look to cover an overview of the respective timelines of each case succinctly. I'd like to start this episode of British Murders with a warning. The following story contains descriptions of violence and murder involving children, and very young ones at that. Listener discretion is advised. October 4th, 1968 was a very uneventful day in the history of this planet. I tried to find literally anything that went on, and the best I could come up with was the death of Francis Biddle, the 58th United States Attorney General, and a march that happened in Northern Ireland, which attempted to be cancelled, but ended up going ahead anyway. Like I said, it was a really boring news day. That all changed, however, when the subject of this episode was born on that very day. Her name? Beverly Allitt. Beverly grew up in rather humble circumstances in the village of Corby Glen, near the town of Grantham in Lincolnshire. This is a county in the East Midlands of England. Her father, Richard, worked in an off-licence For any non-UK listeners, this is a store that sells bottles or cans of alcoholic beverages for consumption off of the premises, hence off-licence. And her mother worked in a school as a cleaner. Beverly grew up with three siblings, two sisters and a brother. However, there was something different about her. Something that would not yet be diagnosed but would have such a detrimental impact to so many in the years to come. As a child, Beverly would pretend she was injured in order to gain attention. She would do things such as apply bandages and casts to herself, claiming they were covering wounds, however she refused to be examined by anyone, even doctors. Beverly had issues with her weight as a teenager, 
and as a result began spending an excessive amount of time in hospitals with numerous physical ailments. On one occasion, Beverly convinced a surgeon to remove her appendix. The strange part about this is there was nothing wrong with her appendix. It was perfectly healthy. So the scar she got from the surgery healed very slowly because she kept picking at it and interfering with the healing process. Her attention-seeking even led to the extreme of self-harm. This ultimately backfired as doctors soon became familiar with Beverly's attention-seeking ways. This never went down well, as Beverly often showed aggression towards others, especially if she wasn't receiving the attention that she craved. This led to regularly swapping doctors time and time again in order to gain further attention from doctors who weren't aware of what she was like. Having failed the test to enter Kestevan and Grantham Girls' School, an academy status grammar school in Lincolnshire, Beverly attended Charles Road Secondary Modern School. She left school at the age of 18, instead volunteering for babysitter jobs in the local area. Having an interest in children and their care, Beverly started a nursing course at Grantham College in Lincolnshire. Her bizarre behaviour continued throughout her training. While working a residency at a nursing home, Beverly was suspected of smearing faeces on the walls. Her boyfriend at the time later said that she was aggressive, manipulative and deceptive, even claiming false pregnancy as well as rape prior to the relationship ending. We'll revisit Beverly's mental health later on in the story. Despite Beverly's history of poor attendance and repeated failure of her nursing exams, she was taken on a temporary six-month contract at the chronically understaffed Grantham and Kestevan Hospital in Lincolnshire in 1991. She was placed on Children's Ward No. 4 as a state-enrolled nurse. When Beverly started this role, there were only two trained nurses on the day shift and one for nights. This crucial piece of information may explain how her violent, attention-seeking behaviour went undetected for so long. Remember I mentioned at the start of the episode that listener discretion was advised? Well, from this point on is where things get truly horrific. You have been warned. If you're still listening, I salute you. Let's carry on with the story. In February 1991... A seven-week-old baby named Liam Taylor was admitted to Children's Ward 4 with a suspected chest infection. Beverly Allett was given the role of looking after Liam and, having reassured his parents that he was in capable hands, they left the hospital and went home for the evening. Upon their return the following morning, Liam's parents were told that he had suffered from some respiratory problems during the night, but that he had made a full recovery and was doing really well. Beverly volunteered for extra duty the following night in order to watch over Liam. When briefly left alone with Beverly, Liam's condition worsened and he became deathly pale with red blotches appearing on his face. It was at this point that Beverly summoned an emergency resuscitation team, or a code team. This would be known in the United States as Code Blue. However, the UK is slightly different as there are not many standardised codes across the entire NHS. 
Liam had suffered a cardiac arrest and stopped breathing. Despite the code team's best efforts to keep Liam alive and well, he ultimately ended up on life support after suffering severe brain damage. On February 21st, 1991, after what must have been the most difficult conversation in the world to have, Liam's parents, knowing that he would never fully recover, made the heartbreaking decision to remove him from life support. A reminder, he was seven weeks old. Liam Taylor's death was listed as heart failure. No foul play was suspected in his death, and despite Beverly's fellow nurses being confused about the failure of the apnea monitors to alarm when Liam stopped breathing, Beverly was never questioned. On March 5th, 1991, 12 days after the death of Liam, an 11-year-old boy named Timothy Hardwick was admitted to the hospital following an epileptic fit. Timothy suffered from cerebral palsy, a group of lifelong conditions that affect movement and coordination. It's caused by a problem with the brain that develops before, during or soon after birth. Beverly volunteered to take care of Timothy. After being briefly left alone with Beverly, much like Liam Taylor, Timothy's heart stopped. Beverly once more summoned the emergency resuscitation team and despite their best efforts, which included a paediatric specialist, Timothy was unable to be revived. No obvious cause of death was confirmed after an autopsy, meaning that Timothy's epilepsy was officially blamed for his death. Three days later, on March 8th, 1991, a one-year-old girl named Kaylee Desmond was admitted to Children's Ward 4 for a suspected chest infection. Beverly Allett was responsible for Kaylee's care. On March 13th, 1991, five days after being admitted to hospital, Kaylee went into cardiac arrest in the same bed where Liam Taylor had died less than three weeks earlier. This time, however, the emergency resuscitation team managed to revive Kaylee before transferring her to a separate hospital in Nottingham, a city in the East Midlands of England. When physicians at the Nottingham Hospital examined Kaylee, they found an unusual puncture wound under her armpit. They also discovered an air bubble near the puncture wound, something they attributed to an accidental injection. Despite these findings, no investigation took place. On March 20th, 1991, a week after Kaylee Desmond went into cardiac arrest, a five-month-old boy named Paul Crampton was taken to Children's Ward 4 due to a non-serious bronchial infection. Shortly before being discharged and after recovering well, Paul was placed in the care of Beverly. Soon after, Paul nearly fell into a coma. After examining a blood sample from Paul, it was found that he had a high level of insulin in his system. These near-coma incidents would happen on two more occasions, with examinations revealing each time that there were high levels of insulin present in Paul's blood. Insulin, for anyone who isn't aware, is a hormone made in the pancreas, which is an organ in your body that helps with digestion. It helps your body use glucose or sugar for energy. But when you have diabetes, sometimes your pancreas doesn't make any insulin, it doesn't make enough, or the insulin it makes doesn't work properly. After the third incident, the decision was made to transfer Paul to another hospital, again in Nottingham. Having had his blood checked again at the Nottingham Hospital, 
high levels of insulin were again present. Chillingly, the nurse that went with Paul to the Nottingham Hospital was none other than Beverly Allett. Luckily, Paul Crampton was one of the few to survive his encounter with Beverly. On March 21st, 1991, the very next day, a five-year-old boy named Bradley Gibson was admitted to Children's Ward 4 for pneumonia. That evening, Bradley went into cardiac arrest, but was successfully resuscitated. Blood tests revealed high levels of insulin, as they had with five-month-old Paul Crampton. After being placed in the care of Beverly, Bradley had another heart attack later that same night. A second successful resuscitation led to Bradley being transferred to another hospital in Nottingham, where he made a full recovery. You might think at this stage that someone, somewhere, would be suspicious of the goings-on at Children's Ward 4, given that each ill child was at some point alone in the presence of Beverly. However, no concerns were raised by anyone. The following day, on March 22, 1991, a two-year-old boy named Yik Hung Chan arrived at Children's Ward 4 with a skull fracture. He'd fallen out of a window. Whilst in Beverly's care, Yik Hung twice turned blue after his oxygen levels dropped to dangerously low levels. After initially responding well to oxygen, the decision was made to transfer him to another hospital in Nottingham after the second period of turning blue. Yik Hung's depleted oxygen levels were attributed to his fractured skull. It's not clear as to whether Beverly became a bit more cautious at this point, or if the timing was just never right, but she didn't strike again until April 1st 1991, ten days after Yik Hung Chan was admitted to the ward with a fractured skull. It was twins Katie and Becky Phillips who were admitted to Children's Ward 4 on the fateful day of April 1st, 1991. The two-month-olds were kept at Grantham and Kestevan Hospital for observations as a result of being born prematurely. Becky, however, was unfortunately transferred to Children's Ward 4 after suffering with gastroenteritis. Gastroenteritis is a very common condition that causes diarrhoea and vomiting, it's typically caused by a stomach bug. It affects people of all ages, however, it is particularly common in young children. Beverly was Becky's designated carer, and only two days later, the alarm was raised that Becky appeared to be hypoglycemic. Hypoglycemia is the technical term for low blood sugar and mainly affects people with diabetes. After no symptoms of hypoglycemia were found, Becky was sent home with her mother. During the evening at home, Becky went into convulsions and was constantly screaming as if in agony. When advice was sought from a doctor, Becky's parents were informed that she likely had colic. Colic is a common problem in young children whereby they cry a lot for no apparent reason. As a father, I can tell you, it's not an easy thing to go through. Becky's parents kept her in their bed so that they could keep a close eye on her throughout the night. Sadly, Becky didn't make it through the night and passed away. No clear cause of death was found, even after an autopsy. If that wasn't cruel enough, the next part is ridiculous. As a precaution, yes, I said a precaution, Becky's surviving twin, Katie, was sent to Children's Ward 4 for observation. Can you believe that? Hindsight is a wonderful thing, 
but at this stage for nobody to have any concerns or be suspicious about what was happening to kids on Ward 4 is beyond a joke. Not long after being admitted to Ward 4, and yes, in the care of Beverly once again, Katie stopped breathing and had to be resuscitated. Two days later, Katie stopped breathing again and her lungs collapsed. After being revived once more, Katie was transferred, you guessed it, to another hospital in Nottingham. It was there that doctors discovered Katie had five broken ribs and had sadly suffered irreversible brain damage due to a prolonged period of oxygen deprivation. It was later found that Katie had stopped breathing due to receiving large doses of insulin and potassium. How sick is this? Katie's mother even thanked Beverly for saving her daughter's life and asked her to be Katie's godmother. No surprises when you hear that Beverly graciously accepted the offer. At this stage, I'm sure you're thinking, Stu, surely now suspicions were raised. Sadly, they weren't. Four more children were subjected to the terror of Beverly Allett on Children's Ward 4, however they all survived their respective ordeals. Alarm bells were finally raised after the death of a fourth child on the ward in the space of two months. On April 22nd, 1991, 15-month-old Claire Peck was admitted to the ward after having an asthma attack. Claire required a breathing tube and was placed on a ventilator in the care of Beverly. Within minutes, Claire had had a heart attack but was successfully resuscitated. She had a second heart attack later that day when left alone with Beverly again. Claire could not be revived for a second time. The autopsy of Claire stated that she had died from natural causes, however it was at this stage that an inquiry was initiated by Dr Nelson Porter, a consultant at Grantham and Kestaven Hospital. Dr Porter was alarmed by the high number of cardiac arrests over the previous two months in the children's ward. At first, an airborne virus was suspected, however there was no evidence of this. Claire's blood was found to have high levels of potassium in it, something which resulted in the police being summoned 18 days after her death. After Claire's body was exhumed, it was discovered that she had traces of lignocaine in her tissues, a drug that is given during cardiac arrest but never to a baby. Investigating officer Stuart Clifton examined the records of 25 suspicious cases that had occurred during the previous two months. The key findings were that, in most instances, high levels of either insulin or potassium or even both were found in blood samples of the victims. As part of the investigation, all of the hospital records were checked, parents of the victims were interviewed and a security camera was installed on the ward. Further suspicions were raised when record checks revealed missing daily nursing logs which corresponded to the time period when Paul Crampton had been on the ward. The only common factor for each of the 25 suspicious cases, which included 13 victims, was the presence of nurse Beverly Allett. By July 1991, police felt they had sufficient evidence with which to charge Beverly. Whilst being interrogated, Beverly remained calm. She denied any involvement in the attacks, stating that she was simply caring for her patients and fulfilling her role as a state-enrolled nurse. 
However, a search of Beverly's home revealed parts of the missing nursing log. Police background checks revealed patterns of behaviour that pointed to a very serious personality disorder. This is when it came to light that Beverly was suffering from both Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Munchausen syndrome is a disorder that has its sufferers pretending to be ill, both physically and or psychologically. The aim is not for any practical benefit such as monetary gain through sickness benefits, rather it is to seek attention from people feeling sorry for them and wanting to look after them. This not only explains Beverly pretending to be injured and convincing a surgeon to remove her appendix as a child, but it also provides clarity as to why she would interfere with her appendix scar post-surgery. Sufferers of Munchausen syndrome will often actively attempt to become ill. This includes things such as rubbing dirt into a wound in order for it to become infected. The disorder is named after fictitious German nobleman Baron Munchausen, a character created in the 18th century by German writer Rudolf Erich Rasp. Baron Munchausen became famous for telling wild, unbelievable tales about his exploits. Munchausen's syndrome by proxy, on the other hand, involves inflicting injury on others to gain attention for oneself, as opposed to self-induced or feigned in oneself. It is fairly unusual for an individual to present with both conditions. It was believed that when Beverly failed to get sufficient attention from her self-harm, she began to harm her young patients instead in order to get noticed. In November 1991, Beverly was formally charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, and 11 counts of grievous bodily harm. She continued to deny any wrongdoing. The trial didn't take place until February 1993 at Nottingham Crown Court as a result of numerous delays. Beverly had become increasingly ill, legitimately this time, and lost around 5 stone or 70 pounds. She was suffering from anorexia nervosa, an eating disorder and mental health condition whereby an individual tries to keep their weight as low as possible by not eating enough food, over-exercising or both. Sufferers often have a distorted image of their bodies thinking they are fat even when they are in fact underweight. On March 23rd 1993, Beverly was convicted and given 13 life sentences for murder and attempted murder. This is the longest prison sentence ever given to a female in the UK. For context, notorious British murderer Harold Shipman, who is believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history with 218 proven murders, was given 15 life sentences, only two more than Beverly. As a result of Beverly's actions and sentence, Grantham and Kestevan's maternity unit was subsequently closed down. Beverly is currently detained in Rampton Secure Hospital, a high-security psychiatric hospital near the village of Woodbeck in Nottinghamshire. It is one of only three high-security psychiatric hospitals in England, alongside Ashworth Hospital in Merseyside, northwest England, and Broadmoor Hospital in Berkshire, southeast England. It has been reported that Beverly has carried on her attention-seeking behaviour in Rampton Secure Hospital by ingesting ground glass and pouring boiling water on her hands. 
Remember the surviving twin, Katie Phillips? In 1999, she was awarded £2.25 million, around £3.9 million today, by the Lincolnshire Health Authority to pay for treatment and equipment for the rest of her life. The Lincolnshire Health Authority did not accept liability for Katie's health, however they did acknowledge that she was entitled to compensation. On December 6, 2007, Judge Stanley Burton confirmed that Beverly must serve the original minimum sentence of 30 years. Now Beverly's shocking story has been covered in a variety of formats. In 1993, author Nick Davis released a book titled Murder on Ward 4. In 2005, the BBC aired a dramatisation of Beverly's story named Angel of Death. It starred Charlie Brooks of EastEnders fame in the titular role. A number of true crime documentary series have covered the story including Crimes That Shook Great Britain, Deadly Women, Born to Kill, Evil Up Close, Nurses Who Kill and Martina Cole's Lady Killers. Tony Martin, former vocalist of British heavy metal band Black Sabbath, wrote a song named The Hand That Rocks the Cradle about the case. It is featured on Black Sabbath's 17th studio album, Cross Purposes, released in 1994. In the 2018 documentary, Trevor MacDonald and the Killer Nurse, Beverly allegedly told some friends before her trial that she would never go to prison. A week into her prison sentence, Beverly refused to eat or drink and was moved to Rampton Secure Hospital. Two leading experts, forensic psychologist Jeremy Coyd and criminologist Elizabeth Yardley, examined Beverly's mental state when she was arrested and concluded she was not mentally ill and therefore should be in prison rather than a secure hospital. Beverly since admitted to all 13 of her crimes in a failed application to remain at Rampton Secure Hospital in an attempt to permanently avoid prison. None of the families of Beverly's victims were told of her full confession in the failed application. That was the story of British murderer Beverly Allett. For more on British murders, please like and subscribe to my channel and social media. All the links are in the episode description for you. Please send your British murder case suggestions to me via social media or via email, which is britishmurderspodcast at gmail.com for me to cover in future episodes. If you are enjoying British murders, please leave me a review on iTunes and Facebook. It really helps my channel grow and would be greatly appreciated. For now, I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, cheerio. Cheerio.